Welcome to the Insight in Psych podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing work-life balance. Although the mental health professionals on this podcast are affiliated with various institutions, the views expressed on this podcast do not represent those institutions. This podcast is for learning purposes only and is not to be taken for medical advice. Your personal doctor is the best person to discuss those issues with. Dr. Gritty. I'm a psychiatry resident at University Hospitals and Case Western in Cleveland, Ohio. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. LeCamp. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. LeCamp. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm good. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do here at UH? Sure. So I am the director of the Division of Psychiatry and Medicine, which is a big fancy term for being the director of the consult service. Um, I've been here for 11 years. And I'm also the director of the Consultation Liaison Fellowship Program. About a year and a half ago, I became the director of the Pain Management Institute, which is a system-wide institute. And about nine months ago, I became the um, faculty lead for controlled substance quality for the system. There are some other committees and things that I do, but those are probably the big ones. So you keep busy. Right. <laughs> and you must know a lot about work-life balance. Well, I don't know if I do, but I thought it would be a good topic to discuss. Yeah. What made you want to choose it? Well, one thing that made me want to choose it is that I think it's such a popular buzz phrase right now. Work-life balance and striving for work-life balance and how are we going to balance. And it dawned on me, first of all, I'm not so sure what that is. And then also, I'm not sure that it is the goal we should be trying to achieve. If we think of balance, and I'm using hands in a podcast, but if we think of balance as things that are equal, so you think of a scale, I don't know that that is reasonable or realistic. And so I've been thinking about it quite a bit and talking to some of my colleagues about it, and I thought we might as well bring up something controversial to start, to start our day today. <laughs> well, that sounds great. Have you had experiences with work-life balance you want to tell us about? Well, it's interesting. I've had experiences where people have thought I was not balanced. Okay. I don't know if those people were me. Okay. Um, but as you can tell from the things that I do, I don't shy away from activities in my work life. So I have had people who are not in my work life, who are in a different realm of my life, wondering why I'm doing so much at work. They have perhaps questioned whether I am, quote, balanced, but I think it wasn't a, an issue for me <laughs> as much, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. So especially for an insight podcast, I may have not had insight into how some of my work influenced some other elements of my life, but for myself, I don't know that I struggled in particular. Okay. And that's something I want to touch base with later as we go through the article, because of what it sounds like to me is what you're saying is you find a lot of purpose in work. Mm -hmm. So getting into just the topic of work-life balance, what do we mean when we talk about work-life balance? I think in essence, we're talking about satisfaction and quality of life. I think calling it work-life balance may do a disservice to the pursuit of quality of life. And if we are always trying to maintain a balance, so to say, 
equal balance in work and in non-work, I think we'll find ourselves frustrated. But if we try to aim for quality of life, I think that's what we really mean. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? I think it's different for everybody. Okay. And so I don't know that a certain structured number of hours or a certain number of days a week of work or a certain shift at work, I don't know that those things are necessarily what we're focused on or, or maybe what we, so to say, should be focused on. But quality of life, I know people who work, you know, the third shift all the time. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be balanced or quality of life for me, potentially, but for them, that's exactly the shift that they like to work, and that is what gives them purpose and meaning, and they enjoy it. And so they are able to do that, plus whatever else makes them feel fulfilled, and they like it. So I think whatever quality of life is, is different for everybody. And that's another thing that I think is potentially dangerous in talking about work-life balance, any presumption that it's the same across the board for anyone, whether they be in training, whether they be attendings, whether they be, you know, working at Starbucks. I think it is always per the individual for what that should mean to them. That makes it a little complicated. It does. Oh, absolutely. But I think if we drill down to what does it mean to be fulfilled for the individual, I mean, that takes some introspection. And that's not just as easy as having an external metric where it's 80-hour work week, no more than that, where it's a certain number of uh, shifts or, or call experiences and so forth. I do think there is a role for limits that seem like they make sense for human beings. However, beyond that, I think it takes the individual being introspective. And because it is so individual, what I feel fulfilled with, my friends or family may say, gosh, that seems like a lot. Well, it wouldn't fulfill them, right? So that's where things may seem imbalanced to an external observer. But if you feel as though that is meaningful to you, I think that makes sense. Yeah. So there, there should be boundaries, but there, you can't measure what is going to make people fulfilled. That mm-hmm. is too complex, mm-hmm. and there's no magic number you can give it. Mm-hmm. Correct. So you sent me this wonderful article written by Andreas Schwingshackle. It's called The Fallacy of Chasing After Work-Life Balance, and it is, was in Frontiers in Pediatrics in March 2014. He argued that, sort of similar to what you're arguing, is that work-life balance is a concept imposed upon us by corporations, companies, and employers with the primary intent to maximize our productivity margins at the workplace, not to improve our emotional or physical well-being. And then he further goes to say that all this comes back to the company wanting to make a profit. That is their goal, not the happiness of their employees. What do you think of his argument here? Well, it's provocative, right? I think the whole article is provocative. I think really us having this conversation, some people will find provocative. I think what he is trying to highlight is that there is some opportunism in employers. They need employees to work for them. And so if they feel as though they can make an argument that being at home is more high quality than being at work. First of all, that would be sad. I mean, if being at work is lacking all quality, that, that would be unfortunate. 
But if they can make people think that being at home is an advantage, but then they facilitate working at home, they facilitate you know, blurring the lines of 24-7 accessibility, and, and they engage in that, then I think they are opportunistically taking advantage of people who falsely feel that their employer is being so kind to allow them to do so much outside of the walls of the workplace. Absolutely. And so I'm a resident, I'm in my third year, and I've struggled with work-life balance, certainly, as the traditional concept you described it as. Do you think it's possible to have it during residency when we're expected to routinely work 80-hour weeks? I know for psychiatry, we have the least amount of burnout, according to like, it was the Medscape 2017 discrimination bias survey. Out of all the, all the specialties, psychiatry was at the bottom at like 42%, which is still really high. Emergency medicine, of course, is up at the top at 56%. OB was number two at 55%. So there's a lot of burnout in residency. So is it possible to find balance? I think it's possible to find quality. I think it is possible to work your tail off and yet be really happy at the end of the day and feel very fulfilled. But I also think it's possible to work your tail off and not feel fulfilled. And I think where burnout comes in is if you are working to the top, to the nth degree of what you think you can physically, emotionally, mentally do, and it is either demeaned, undermined, or seen as not enough, then that is a setup for burnout. That doesn't necessarily mean that if you're really working to your nth degree and you know, you're know you um, tuckered out at the end of the day, that you're automatically out of balance. I think the challenge in residency is finding meaning in tasks that may seem rudimentary, may seem overly burdened, may in healthcare seem like a task that someone else could assist with. And in, as we try to optimize our multidisciplinary angle, I think that is going to get better because we all are on the same team. We have to play in the same sandbox. We have to work together to optimize the health of our patients. And as you know, I tell people every day, if we're not here to take excellent care of patients, then I don't know why we're here. And so really, if that's our driving force, then I think we can feel fulfilled. And so I think we can have quality in our life. Balance as per number of hours at home and at work, no, that's not going to happen, most likely, in in residency. If you're on call and you're doing all sorts of hours in a row, you're not going to be at your house as much as you're going to be at the hospital. But I do think there's ample opportunity to feel fulfilled and feel that there is high quality in your life, even in residency. I like that answer. What do you think about the idea that residency is temporary and there will be time for work-life balance afterward? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I kind of, I had to sort of chuckle to myself because I don't think I've ever put in more hours than I am right now. But I'm also very happy with what I'm doing. And I wanted to tell you this story because as I was reading this article and preparing for today, I remember at some point last spring, so the spring of 2018, I was you know, newly in the Pain Management Institute arena and I hadn't really decreased any of my clinical activity. And I was coming to work at this lovely building on a Saturday morning. And it was probably 8.30 in the morning. 
not particularly late in the day, and it was sunny, and I was driving down the street. I know exactly where I was. I was at a stoplight, and I was happy. I was very happy, and it struck me how happy I could be tootling into work volitionally on a Saturday morning because I wanted to come here, and I wanted to be doing something productive. I wanted to take advantage of some time to get things done. Now, some people would argue that's out of balance. You are doing something on a weekend. You're coming in extra time. But I vividly remember the experience of being happy and looking forward to what I was going to be doing. Similarly, just recently, over Labor Day weekend, I did not do, I would say, much work on the holiday Monday. I, I did no work on the holiday Monday, I will be honest. And I enjoyed time with my friends and family. I did find myself a bit worried about the fact that I hadn't done something that would have made the quality of the next four days of my short week <laughs> a little bit better. And so I think, you know, there are interpretations of, are you working, quote, too much? Are you working not enough? And so really, I think it comes down to what the inner state of the person is as they're engaging in whatever work effort they have. Yeah. So it sounds like sometimes you work extra and you kind of love it. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes you work less and you worry that maybe it's not enough, but you try and enjoy those times too. Correct. And I think, you know, enjoyment is important. And yes, there are days that you should not work. I am not endorsing everybody should roll into their office at 8 in the morning on a Saturday. But I think it's all, it's all a part and parcel of life. And so this is the quality of life um, that I'm talking about, not in an equivalent balanced terminology, but in what is fulfilling to you in, mm -hmm. that, in that sense. Yeah. And keeping in mind what you said earlier about the individuality. Yes. Of work-life balance, or not work-life balance, we should stop using mm -hmm. that term, maybe quality <laughs> of life, mm -hmm. what it will be for me is different than for you. Right, exactly. And, you know, nowadays we have some flexibility to think about the individual, right? I mean, we have all chosen to go into something where we're not making widgets, although, you know, if we were, I, I think it would probably be a similar conversation, but, you know, we don't have to fit into very concrete buckets anymore. We have some flexibility. People work part-time. People do different types of work on different days, more so than they ever did before. And so while I don't want people to think that that means that that automatically balances you out, if that gives you quality of life, if that gives you fulfillment and satisfaction, then yes, I think the individual has to figure out what is right for them. It's an interesting concept that whatever is right for me won't be right for you. If everybody decided that they wanted to work 30 hours a week, no weekends and no call, we would have some trouble, right? So there is still... People need care the greater, at all times a day. Correct. So there is still the greater purpose that we have to think of as a collective, mm -hmm. but for the individual, the idea of quality of life will be different. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been exposed to a lot of ideas during medical school and during residency about the culture of work and um, you should work a lot, you should work all the time, and if you're not working, why aren't you? So how does the culture of medicine contribute to or detriment work-life balance or as we're talking about more quality of life? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question, especially given the last, I would say, three to six months of some quality initiatives that are coming down 
not only here at university hospitals, but also nationally. And the focus being on less inpatient care, for instance, and more ambulatory services, less, you know, addressing sick people on the inpatient side and more helping people to stay well in their home communities. And so I think this will change because I think modern medicine is definitely in a state of flux. No longer will it only be your productivity, for instance. No longer will it be, strictly speaking, those types of metrics and and that type of financial metric, for instance. But I think there will be other quality metrics that are going to be important. We don't quite know what that is going to look like yet, but we are going to have to figure out what makes for quality for our patients and how then that impacts the quality for providers. Does that mean people are doing telemedicine? Does that mean that people are doing e-consultation? You know, what, what does it mean to be able to provide adequate services and how does that fit or not fit for some providers? Some people may not want to do any telemedicine or any e-consultation. They may not feel comfortable with that and other people may. So I think there may be sort of a new horizon of opportunities and modern healthcare then will give some more challenges to people to figure out what feels good to them and what fits for them in a quality of life of their work selves. I hope so, because if, if you can't tell, I don't think the culture of work until you die is very healthy or mm-hmm. balanced or has any quality to it. Right. Well, and I think that's true. I mean, I certainly think, like many things, there can be, uh, there's, a, there's a standard, then the pendulum swings, right? And then at some point, the, the swing decreases and we sort of settle in somewhere in the middle. And so I, I definitely think that working to, as you say, working yourself to death is not ideal. And I think as we try to sort ourselves out from a both individual and then global responsibility standpoint, we'll probably settle in more somewhere towards in the middle. I think it's important to remain mentally flexible and, and sort of settle in for the ride a little bit because I don't think that we can fully predict how it's going to look coming up. I think, as we mentioned before, it's not specific hours. It's not specific days. It's going to end up being much more nebulous, which might be uncomfortable at first because, especially in medicine, we, are, we like to be structured and this is this and this is this. Um, we have this number to compare it to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And especially in quality circles now, as they're talking about, you know, how are we going to measure that we're doing a good job? It's, it's turning things on its end. No longer will we be counting discharges. We will be sort of counting the negative, right? Like counting not a discharge because it's not an admission because we kept them at home healthier. Oh my gosh, how do we do that? So, I mean, that's exciting mm-hmm. to think about. That is exciting to think about. I really hope it goes that way. And I'm wondering, as we're talking, we are talking a lot about purpose at work, which I think you and I both get a lot of. I think we love being with our patients and we love giving them the best care possible. What about people who don't have that purpose in their work? We're we're relatively privileged in that we get to find it. What about the people who don't? That's a great question. I mean, and that's a very difficult question. Because I think you and I chose careers where we got to have purpose and find purpose. Correct. Well, and on a daily basis, even if it is a brutally difficult day, even if clinically things are complicated or administratively things are hard, we are very privileged, very lucky to do what we do. We are doing something that thousands of people want to do who won't get the opportunity, potentially. And so I try to feel lucky on a daily basis, even especially 
was going to say even on a rough day, but especially on a rough day, try to check myself and say, okay, not in all things, but in many things, there was choice involved. And I, I chose this and guess what? I'm lucky to do it. And to your point, you know, we are doing this for the, for the betterment of our patients. If people do not have the ability to choose what they're doing, for instance, if they don't have any sense of agency with what they're doing, then my impression would be it would be a lot harder to have a quality sense or a fulfillment sense with what they are doing for work. Now, does that mean that they wouldn't have quality in other elements of their life? Sometimes you have to do the thing to get you to the end goal. You know, I had to take certain classes in college that I didn't really want to to graduate. So, you know, I mean, I think that happens a lot. Um, And so sometimes it is a fact of doing something that may be less fulfilling for some period of time. And I think that's okay too. The, the, um, I I don't have social media, but sort of my concept of sort of like the Instagram life or, you know, you're going to post all beautiful things because everything is lovely and sunny and happy all the time. That's not very balanced either, (laughs) or it's not realistic, right? And Mm -hmm. so I don't know that we have to feel obligated to love every second of everything that we're doing (laughs) to have a realistic view of life is still pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Um, So getting back to the article, Shrinkshackle reasons that chasing work-life balance is just an ongoing frustration to attempt to achieve if we could figure out just how to achieve it. And then he goes on to say, as the movers and shakers of our industrialized nations continue to promote the work-life balance concept as the holy grail of the 21st century go-getter mentality, ingraining into our minds a more balanced and happier life lies just around the corner, I cannot help but getting reminded of the entrance gate at Auschwitz displaying, oh, I can't speak German, but it, the English translation is work will liberate you. This sentence was really chilling to me with the way that it connects our overworked culture back to attitudes of Nazis literally working people to death. And we, we actually, this is the second time we're saying working to death mm-hmm. in, in this podcast. It also touches on the vulnerabilities that all employees, residents, and faculty have to the organization that they work for. I would say especially residents because we have to get through residency in order to become attendings in our field of choice. Is our culture of work in America, with 40 hours being arbitrarily the minimum to be full-time, just too much? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think that I could say that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I could arbitrarily say 40 hours is too much or 80 hours is too much. I mean, I could probably say that you know, 120 is too much. Okay. Um, but I honestly, I honestly don't think so. Um, I don't think that 40 hours of full-time work, which is different depending on your academic institution, depending on your medical institution where you work, 40 may be full-time. It may be, you know, more than that might be qualified as full-time. There are lots of different definitions of part-time as well. Um, But I don't think that that is too much. Mm -hmm. I know in Japan, they have a very intense work culture. You see the pictures of the the men in nice business suits sleeping on the street because Mm -hmm. they're working so much. Mm -hmm. But then I hear about this wonderful European culture where everyone gets a window in their office. And if you don't, you can sue against that. (laughs) And they're not so obsessed with it. So it's just, I think America is not quite in the middle. I think we're more towards the working culture. 
Mm -hmm. I think we are. And I think it's interesting to conceptualize us as still a pretty young culture compared to some. Now, East Asian cultures have been established for so long. However, you know, in comparison to some of our European colleagues and so forth, I mean, we're still a pretty teenagery type of, of country here. And, um, you know, maybe still establishing ourselves in the world marketplace has something to do with that. I will say that one advantage that some countries do have, especially with regard to quality of life, is things like you know time off or dividing your day if you have a break in the middle of the day, that sort of thing. It still doesn't mean that folks don't work later in the day in some cases. In some cultures where they have you know more vacation time per year, for instance, I think that is certainly advantageous, if, especially my friends that I know personally who live in Australia, you know, if you only have three weeks off per year, it limits where you can actually physically go <laughs> and enjoy going without crippling jet lag. But there are certainly ways that we should learn from other cultures in terms of what works well for their employees, for their citizens, and all different facets of work as well. And maybe taking upon that diversity as we try and individualize to everybody mm -hmm. what is going to work for you for your quality of life. Correct. And going back to the quote from Shrinkshackle and talking, com comparing um, work will liberate you to residency, is the intensity in hours just not compatible with living a balanced life? Well, I think you can only be drowning in cortisol for so long before it becomes uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. um, some people really enjoy that. My friends who went into emergency medicine, I mean, really it's the thrill of it, and they really enjoy that. That would be very stressful to me, and I don't think that I would enjoy doing that work, even if I did it for 30 hours a week, right? So I think intensity is in the eye of the beholder. Likewise, my colleagues who work in the emergency department, they could you know, run codes all day long, or they could do trauma triage all day long. If they were faced with an acutely agitated psychotic person or an acutely suicidal person, even in the med surge unit where medically things are more stable, they might find that very intense or very stressful. So I think it's kind of all in the eye of the beholder. And I don't want the whole podcast to be me sort of turfing the question as an individual choice. But I think there's a lot to be said for how the individual perceives intensity and perceives whether it be the number of hours or the activity as intense or not intense and as fulfilling or not. And I really do feel that if we keep ourselves too siloed, so as psychiatrists, if we only hang out with psychiatry folks, and if we don't interface with our colleagues, we lose perspective. It's probably one of the reasons that I like being a consulting psychiatrist, because I get to run around the hospital, interface with colleagues in all different departments, not only for the better treatment of all of our patients, but I also get colleagues in lots of different departments, and I like that. And you get to have perspective into their training programs or their didactic sessions or their retreats or how they do a call schedule or how their attendings go on service. And that, so being too siloed, I think you lose that opportunity to, to learn from colleagues and then to figure out, as you were saying, you know, what elements of the diverse nature of modern medicine can we borrow and maybe incorporate into our training program or our department that might be helpful from learning from our colleagues. Yeah, I recently had that same realization. I'm working with 
some residents in pediatrics and OB, and I learned about some initiatives that they're doing. And I thought, wow, I had no idea they're doing these great initiatives. Why don't, why aren't we doing this in psychiatry? And why didn't we know about it? Mm -hmm. Because we are quite separated partly by nature of our work, but we do have time to, to meet, you know, when we're I'm on CL service, I go talk with the OB residents, I go talk with the neuro residents, mm -hmm. whatever. So yeah, I like the idea of being more interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. What are inherent failures of programs meant to promote work-life balance? Well, I think as we started off the podcast, I, I think the premise just might be faulty. If we're looking for balance, even Stephen, equal, I think we're going to be very frustrated. And I think even if physically or mentally or emotionally we feel okay, if we go to a meeting where it's like, okay, work-life balance means you should be balanced, we may come out of that meeting thinking, well, I thought I was doing okay, but maybe I'm not because I didn't work out this week. Oh my gosh, does that mean I'm out of balance? So I think the premise is faulty and really getting back to quality and fulfillment is the key. So I, I value the work-life balance programs and retreats and so forth. But I don't want people to get fooled into thinking, you know, if they automatically balanced all their hours the way that they think they should, I don't want them to think that that would cause success, either at work or out of work. So kind of what we've been talking about here and what Schwingshackle finally concludes in his article is that he had to dissolve the work-life dichotomy and, and shift his view to, he called it, life, nature, universe. And then he felt balanced in his life. When I was first reading this, I couldn't quite tell how he came to this life, nature, universe view until the second to last paragraph where he described finding purpose in his work so much that it became part of his life, which is, I think is what you described with your story earlier of coming to work on a Saturday is you had purpose. So what he had to do is to change to fit his environment, but the environment was created by a company who wants to squeeze every last cent out of him and, as he said, does not care about his happiness or well-being. So he changed to fit the environment. Does his solution of finding purpose address the issue that perhaps the expectations put upon physicians are too much for any human to bear? Are they overburdened? Are they overworked? I mean, I think at any point in time, you'll find people who feel overworked and overburdened, for sure. Absolutely. And I am, well, you know me, uh, Dr. Gritty, so you know I'm not a a uh, Pollyanna in any circumstance. So I'm not saying, oh, it's all wonderful. And if you just find your individual purpose, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> so that would be a disservice to the people who are feeling stressed, who are feeling burned out, who are feeling overburdened. Is it more than any humans should be asked to bear? I don't know. I don't think so. I think, you know, what he mentions in the article is, is interesting. As you own your choice to engage in a certain career, you can also own your happiness in that career and how that fits into the rest of your life. You know, work is hard, but work is life. And life is work too. So the false dichotomy of work-life balance or making a distinction between happiness and work is something that I think causes problems. And really, 
there's so much happiness to be had through fulfilling work and so much happiness to be had through fulfilling relationships and activities and you know, going and meditating and doing whatever else people want to do in times that they are not physically at work, that I want people to identify that they are not at odds, that being fulfilled and happy and peaceful and having quality doesn't happen exclusively outside of the workplace. I like that. Um, Something this article did not talk about at all was work-life balance in the context of gender and race. Do you have any comments on that? Uh, I thought about that question a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I could aptly speak to anything from a race perspective. As a white female, I don't think that that is something that I could comment on adequately. From a gender perspective, I may have a little bit of a different take on things as well. As a single female without children, I think there are different expectations and sometimes different requests or, so to say, burdens placed on people in that category. Because if I don't uh, have certain obligations, especially with regard to time, with regard to activities on behalf of smaller people in my household, I think there is a tendency to not protect those employees as much. That being said, I think that's also something that is in flux. And I think that there is a lot more awareness of that now than there ever was before. I don't, as as someone who is often one of very few females in a room of leaders, I uh, embrace that role. And I I don't shy away from it uh, at all. And if anything, you know, I go towards those types of opportunities and not only on my own. I mean, I have a lot of support and I've had a lot of opportunities to go to women leadership training experiences and leadership programs. So I feel very lucky to have had those experiences, which basically encouraged me to own my place in space, to be the leader that I think I can be. And while my gender is part of me, uh, it's not the most important part of me in, in many circumstances. And so those are my sort of preliminary thoughts about that question. I think that question could be a whole... That could be a whole nother other podcast. podcast. And we actually are going to do a series <laughs> on diversity. Well, that's good. So that'll be great. Is there anything else that needs to be said about this topic that we didn't touch on? Well, I'd be interested to see how things go. Maybe we'll talk again in another year or two or three uh, to see your own personal experience with how work-life balance or whatever that is, how quality of life goes for you and your colleagues as you proceed through training. I think we are very lucky to do what we do. And I think really harnessing our sense of fulfillment and harnessing our sense of quality in ourselves as professionals really is the name of the game. And that's the key for me as a, as a leader in medicine at this time. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> um, and thank you all for listening to the Insight in Psych podcast. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us at insightinpsych at gmail.com. Please consider reviewing us on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. Special thank you to Dr. LeCamp for speaking with us today to help us all gain more insight into psychiatry. Mm -hmm.